Amen. Thank you, Meredith. I almost wanted to do the applause, but then I didn't see anybody else doing it, so I didn't go for it. Thank you, Meredith. That was beautiful. Um, You know, I'm I'm glad that my Statue of Liberty is Jesus. Amen. Um, I want to read, actually, what I was going to say before that was, um, I'm glad that the hope of the prophets wasn't the Statue of Liberty in New York City. You see, the the, the hope of the prophets was the Statue of Liberty that we look to now, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to prove that to you through a reading of Scripture here this morning. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22 through 25 says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Please join me in prayer before I get into the rest of my message this morning. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for standing as the true statue of liberty, Lord, where our liberty is made known and that we have an independence in you, Lord, from this world, that we would not be ashamed in you, Lord, that we would be convicted and empowered by you, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to to be among your people that have set their eyes on you and that we can rest in a fulfilled hope of what the prophets longed for. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being your people. Exhort us, encourage us, and build us up to walk worthy of what you have called us to. We lift up our praise and our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So those words that spoke to Isaiah's crooked generation about seeking salvation for, you know, in God and, and finding that salvation through God was the cry of many crooked generations to come. Again, that was Isaiah's cry in his generation. That was the cry of the first century people. That was the, and prayerfully, hopefully, you all see that that's our cry today that we're pointing people to God because that's where salvation can be found. With all that is going on in the world, I am glad to hold to an identity that is not of this world. In other words, I hold to a statue of liberty that is not of this world. I do not find my identity in natural things, whether that be my race, me being an American, my political views, my social identity. Rather, my identity is found in Jesus Christ. That's where I am. I am proud to be called a Christian. I am a member of the body, the body that we've been talking about forever. I am a member of that body. I just heard it said this morning that we as Christians in the midst of difficult situations are called to stand firm and be bold in our identity, loving God and helping others. Surely there's a message for this for our generation today, amen? Today we both end the One New Man sermon series, which we've been going through for a couple months now, and we begin a new sermon series and a new conversation about what does it mean to be a Christian? What makes us independent from, let's say, those in our country that look to the Statue of Liberty for their liberty? What makes us as Christians different from that brand or crowd? As this week went by, I seen pastor after pastor express frustration and confusion in regards to our cultural atmosphere. If you're not burdened by what's going on in the world, you're not paying attention. We need to be burdened. Something that rang true and united all of us, regardless of our distinction in denomination, our distinction on our different views of the Bible, was that this world needs the gospel. We all agree there. This world needs the gospel. This world needs nothing short of a message from God. What this should cause us to do as a Christian church 
who believe that we have the message from God, is it should cause us to examine our gospel. It should cause us to have clarity and conviction in regards to the gospel that we're telling people is life, that we're pushing people toward. We need to be clear on what that gospel is. And it also should cause us to challenge the effectiveness of the gospel, the gospel that we preach, and the manner in which we preach it. We should be challenged by all of those things. Is our gospel effective? Are we living it? Are we living consistently as what I would call a consistent Christian? Are we moving forward with clarity and conviction in regards to what we teach? Are we being strong and firm in regards to what we teach as matter of the gospel? Let me be clear. The gospel never changes, never changes. However, as culture changes, interpretations and the manner in which the gospel is preached will. We need to consider that. The gospel will never change, but the way that people are interpreting what the gospel is and how it is the salve that will fix the, the, the problem here in our world, they tend to change the interpretations. You know, you, you hear, most of us in the room know the many different interpretations that have been offered. You know, you have the, um, the escape route, you know, rapture will come and it'll get you out of here. That's one solution. You have the, the crazy preterist crowd that's saying that the kingdom of God needs to be seen through his people. That's the solution. You have the post-millennialist that says, or I'm sorry, that you have the post-trib guy that says, get all your food ready and let's start moving to the mountains. You have the post-millennialist who looks through the world in a glasses and says, well, it seems to be getting better. Right? The gospel's definitely increasing in the world. We have all these different ways of what is the gospel then? If, if, if all these different ways are claiming to be the fix for this, this world, what is the gospel? Are we united? Are we a united front as Christians saying we have the answer to what this world is experiencing? Throughout the past three months, I studied, studied, and studied to show myself approved, being a worker who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, especially in regards to what this resurrection of the dead is, this term body, soma, what is the one new man, and all of these different things in regards to what this book seems to tell me the gospel is. I'll tell you, I've studied. I've tried to search out every different area to figure out what is the gospel, what is Jesus, and what were the apostles saying was the solution to what this world is experiencing. Because that's the gospel, the good news. That's what this world needs to hear. Strangely, as I mentioned last week, my understanding of the gospel in this regard, the fulfilled consummation of the resurrection of the dead, dying to ourselves, coming alive in and through Jesus Christ, being members of his body, puts me at odds with the common understanding of what the gospel is. See how that's a problem? If the world needs the gospel and we haven't seemed to get clarity and conviction on what that gospel is, We're in trouble. We are in a lot of trouble. I'm going to explain to you this morning and demonstrate prayerfully with clarity and context in regards to what it means to have our identity in Christ. What does it mean to have a resurrected identity that we are no longer dead like the rest of the world, but now we are raised up. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we are members of his body, and we have the solution to this world's problems. I'm going to give you a little bit of clarity in that regard this morning. The major problem with the world today is an identity crisis. I think all of us could agree there. If you look at most of the battles that we're seeing in our media, a lot of it is an identity problem. We have an identity problem. We hear the word pride tossed around, right? You hear this word pride constantly being thrown around in our media. Be proud of who you are, who God made you. We read article after after article in the newspaper about suicide and drug use due to people being confused about who they are. What, is the, what are they supposed to be doing with their life? Why did God create them? 
We see all these questions in our culture. I could go on and on about the identity problems that our culture seems to have. Matter of fact, perfectly the summation of this message this morning will prove that this was actually the issue even in Bible times, an identity crisis. After, the gospel, after all, the gospel speaks a message to be a solution in regards to what our identity should be, who we are, what we should be doing, why God created us. The gospel seems to offer a fix. It's just a matter of us actually getting that message, being clear on what that is, and being bold in regards to what that means for the world. Our culture, just as the biblical culture, offers this self-actualization. You hear this all the time. This is the popular thing in our culture. Get to know yourself, right? You should um, know more about your, uh, your worries and your hurts and the things that comfort you. Find your inner man. And then when we actually actualize ourselves or realize ourselves, then we can be proud in who we are, right? That's what our culture teaches us. You know, you, you, you learn a little bit about yourself. If you dabble in some of the new age stuff, you know, they're trying to get you to do some yoga to understand yourself better and meditate. And, you know, as you do all of this, you'll just you'll get a better picture of yourself and who God wants you to be. You'll be self-actualized. You'll know. You'll, you'll have the real picture of who you were created to be. Well, in this pride, this is carnal identification. This is the identification of who you think you are. You see, that's the problem. Stop. It's not about who you think you are. Finding pride in who you think you are, your carnal identity. This, this is things such as race, politics, social, uh, the social identity that you might find in the world. Um, this is what the gospel actually preaches against. The gospel is going against that stuff. Christ offered himself as a sacrifice, and catch this, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, that he might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the hatred or the enmity. Right? So I read that and I say, interesting. So Christ, Christ's work to establish peace. Do we live in a world that needs peace? Okay. So Christ's work to establish peace was to take two individual identities and bring them into one so that those two identities would have peace. You see? Jew and Gentile. Galatians, what is it? Galatians chapter 2. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. You see how that creates a little bit of unity? Our world needs unity, but we need to have unity on what the right identification is. You see, we have too many people running around, I'm black, I'm white, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. And we have no unity, we have no peace, and we wonder why we're just seeing a warring society, because nobody knows what their identity is. It's an identity problem. It's always been an identity problem. Sadly, what we're talking about here is an identity problem with the people of God. We have an identity problem. How often do you hear Christians calling themselves by a bunch of other different titles before they call themselves a Christian? I do, all too often. hear people saying, I am a conservative Christian. I am a liberal Christian. I am a Republican Christian. I am a Democrat Christian. I am a black Christian. I'm a white Christian. I'm a... No. He, he did... Jesus did his work so that we would all be in one body, not be in one body divided 15 different ways. 15 is being pretty nice, right? Yeah, yeah. So, again, I'm going to read that again. Christ offered himself as a sacrifice so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross and by it putting to death the hatred. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. 
I'll tell you, there's something, you know, what really speaks to me about that is that I hear most Christians talking about a new body for them. That's multiple bodies. You see where a problem comes in there? That, so if the gospel becomes about me getting my own new individual body apart from Kevin's individual body, I don't think that's one new man. That sounds like two new men. But that's the gospel we're preaching. It's all about me. It's all about me finding myself, learning who I am, and being happy that one day God is going to give me a new body. Well, welcome to what is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is how God would tell you to die to your identity, you who you think you are, the the self that you've actualized, that you think is so important and you're so proud of, die to that and come into the body of Christ. Find your identity here. Because when you dwell in that identity, you're actually fostering the problem we have in our world. We're divided. We have no peace. That's the problem. Everybody is so divided on these carnal identities that we just boast in. And then we wonder why we see the problems that we see in our world. Jesus Christ died so that the individual identities would die to themselves and they would be found in him. That's where life is found. That's where peace is found. Peace isn't going to be found with all lives matter. It's not going to be found with black lives matter. It's not going to be found with blue lives matter. It's going to be found with saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and this is my identity. This is my peace and this is the healing the world needs. And they need to hear the message of what Jesus Christ said. We need to be empowered and we need to be bold on what we're saying. That's our identity. My identity is a Christian. That's my first and primary identification. That's what will be the solution to this world's problems. I will unapologetically preach the corporate body hope that was detailed and fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. That's what I've been proclaiming to you for the past three months. The one new man, the corporate hope of how we need to die to ourselves, our individual identities as black, white, Republican, Democrat, etc., etc., and be found as Christians. Be found as people of Jesus. Simply put, what truly rings as the answer to our problems today? I'm going to put a challenge before you this morning. Obsession with leaving this planet to go to another realm wherein you will be given another supposed new body that will be so much better than this body that you have to suffer in and live here, and it will be so much of a better experience. Doesn't that sound like it'll fix our world? No. Hmm, don't think so. Or... Let's see a gospel that may fix our world. The detailing of a corporate and fulfilled hope that invites men and women to die of the identity that they have formed of themselves and tells them, die to that and come into the body of Christ and put on this identity of put on Jesus Christ. Does that sound like it'll fix our world? I tend to think so. Remember I told you the gospel doesn't change? So the gospel needs to be effective to every generation. So if the gospel I told you the first time is about some new body you're going to get, you're going to die, you're going to go get some new great body, and it's going to be a great experience there, what does it say about here? What are we saying to the world? Are we offering anything? Are we in the world not of it, or are we just completely not of it? Mm, Not really offering anything of substance to anybody here. Hey, you want a new body? Want to go somewhere else? Great. I believe it's almost common sense. It's almost common sense on what gospel we're called to preach. Obsession with getting a new body in some ethereal realm when we die is not saving this generation. It's not. People say, where's the church? Where are the Christians? I don't know. Preaching about a new body that you could receive. You could die and go to a new place. It has never saved the generation. And the writer of Proverbs actually says this. Putting hope far off will make the heart sick. Do they look sick? Keep pushing the hope that way. Telling him, don't worry, one day you'll get it. One day you'll get that new body. One day you'll get that new hope. Just live here as if you're going to die one day and get a new body. And we say that somehow that's supposed to heal our planet. No. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm not giving you some 
far-off hope, and, you know, even as I put in my notes, I'm not giving you some far-out hope either, you know, some rather strange, crazy new body, let's get in this new body and live in heaven um, hope. That's not what I'm talking about here. I pray that I have demonstrated that the hope of Israel, in other words, the resurrection of the dead, is about how the first century Jews and Gentiles were invited into the mystery of the ages, the body of Christ. That's what they were doing. They were being invited into this opportunity by dying to their identity as Jew, right? I'm great. I'm a Jew. I'm going to be God's people. I'm a child of Abraham. That's called self-actualization, you see? If you would have told the Jew in the first century, hey, get to know yourself, get, be proud of who God, who God made you to be, they would have said, I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. Exactly what Jesus preaches against, an identity in and of yourself. No, die to that identity and come into the body of Christ. Gentile, we're the smartest people, the Greeks. Come on, we're smart people. Why would we want to go believe what the foolish Hebrew people believe? And Jesus comes to them. He says, you need to die to that identity. That's going to be your downfall. You need to come into the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where life is found. Not in actualizing and realizing yourself and and growing in your own identity and being proud of who God made you to be. If you're here today, hopefully you, you know that God made you to be an image of Jesus Christ, to be alive in his body, to be a member of the body. That is your identity. I am a member of the body, the resurrected body. The judgment and resurrection of the dead was a necessity to show that God had once and for all dealt with the corporate death that was prevalent in his people and affected his people and the nations around them. Israel said, we are the people of God, but we don't have to live according to the law. We'll live however we want, but we'll still demand the privilege of being the people of God. And that was their downfall. That was death to them. No, you will be judged for that. They used the law, which gave them the opportunity to be in the presence of God, for the nations to see God through them, and they used this instead to boast in their carnal identity as Jews. God chose them because of their bloodline, right? No. He chose them because of grace, because he wanted to use them. He didn't choose them because of their carnal identity, that they were, you know, whatever they were in the ancient Near East. He didn't choose them for that. He chose them because he wanted to choose them. It was his will to choose them. Nothing good in and of them, nothing good in and of any of us. He just chose us because he wants to use us for his will. Now it was being made clear through Jesus Christ that children of Abraham could be made out of stones, And in a sense, he was making them out of stones. He was taking Jew and Gentile, those people that had carnal identities, barbarian, Scythian, and all the other strange phrases in the Bible, and he's bringing them into Christ. That's He was telling them to die to those identities and come into Christ, to be absent from your bodily identification outside of Christ and instead be present with the Lord through the new covenant. That's the hope. Throughout the One New Man series, I made it my goal to demonstrate a contextual understanding of the Greek term soma, or body, in the Bible. The term could mean one's physical body. It could mean the system or the body that you have identification with, such as the body of Christ, where we have our identification. Um, In regards to identity and in regards to the gospel, soma would be understood as the system that you are now a slave to. If you were a Gentile, you were a slave to the foolishness of the the, you know, the Greek religion. If you were a Jew, you were a fool to the law. You were stuck. You were a slave to that law. You were a slave to sin. The Apostle Paul said that. You were a slave to whatever identity you had. If you're in the body of Christ, who are you a slave to? Jesus. We're a slave to righteousness. That's what we're called to be as the people of God. 
That is the argument the Apostle Paul is making for Jew and Gentile in the book of Romans in regards to the bodily identification that they have. Jews, your body's dead. Gentiles, your body's dead. You need to come into the body of Christ, making those two into one new man. That's the gospel. The strangest thing, the more clarity I gain on this, it seems the more I'm put to the test. I study this, and all of a sudden I become the enemy of more. I attended a meeting this week, I've mentioned this to some of you, where two pastors who sit on a board of a, a pastor's meeting that I attend, I mentioned many of this again to you. Um, however, at that meeting, I was able to share some insights in regards to the resurrection, the term soma, as found in the Greek. I thought it was neat that even one pastor reiterated my view back to me, told me what I believe. I said, well, he, he, he sees it, but he doesn't necessarily agree with me that that's what the Bible is talking about. You see where that's a problem, though? Because if the gospel is what's going to fix the world, we need to get clarity on what the gospel is. Due to my clarity and understanding of this, some have said that I'm not a Christian because I believe that this is talking about being in Christ, which I kind of have a confused ethic on how that works. If I'm saying it's all about being in Christ and then that makes me not a Christian, I don't know. Then on the other side... On one side of those who stand in an agreement with my position on, in regards to the resurrection of the dead, there's a confusion in regards to how important this is. I hopefully this morning am telling you how important this really is. It's important to have conviction on our gospel. It, it, we, we have to know what we're telling the world is going to be their, their solution. Otherwise, pastors can't be on Facebook saying, we need the gospel. What do we need, to be more confused? No, I don't think so. So... Again, we need to have clarity in this matter. This simply brings us back to what is salvation? We talked a little bit about this this morning. What does it mean to be saved in and by Christ? Hebrews 9.28 demands that Christ returned a second time to bring salvation. 1 John 3.2 declares that the first century saints would be made like him when he appeared. My question would be, do we believe that we're like him? Do we believe that we have the communion he had with God? That we have gone from death to life, as 1 John tells us we indeed have if we hope in the Messiah? Is it a salvation issue to believe that Jesus Christ said we will move from death to life if we believe in him? Absolutely. Absolutely. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, speaking to the first century saints, declares that the living hope through the resurrection of the dead is the inheritance. It is the imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away inheritance that they would have. I'm sorry, I don't believe that that's a body that one day you're going to receive when you die that's being stored for you in heaven. No, what was being stored for you in heaven was the reality of salvation that would come at his coming, that you can now be invited into this reality. We can be convicted and be empowered by that this is where God can and is found. This is our gospel. Come be a part of the people of God. We will be the solution. You have a gang member preaching to you. You have all kinds of different people in our congregation. This is the solution. Not get a new body and go to heaven. No, die to your identity as a gang member, as a police officer, as a black man, a white man, a Republican, a Democrat, and come into the body of Christ. You want to see peace? Let's see that happen. That'll give us peace. Ephesians 2.15, that he might make them one new man. We are that new man. There's nothing more and surely nothing less than de the detailing of Christ as a high priest who at his second coming would declare his people saved and at that coming his people would be made like him enjoying eternal life with the Father, the everlasting presence of God which nothing can separate us from if you're believing scripture and this is the inheritance which was reserved for those who waited at that time. 
and those today who die to themselves and come into the body of Christ participate and receive that inheritance. That's our gospel. It's not that confusing. And I'll tell you what, when we actually get clarity on it, it has the potential to heal the nations. But we have to have clarity on it. We have to be empowered by it, and we have to be bold. It's going to require being bold. I love the way one preacher and writer, Witness Lee from China, explained what I'm saying. He said this, In his resurrection, the Lord Jesus rebuilt God's temple in a larger way, making it a corporate one, the mystical body of Christ. The body that was destroyed on the cross was small and weak. But the body of Christ established in the resurrection is vast and powerful. Since the day of his resurrection, the Lord Jesus has been enlarging his body through resurrection life, inviting each and every one of us to participate in this bodily experience so that when he died on Golgotha that day and they said, look at that weak man calling himself a savior. Look at his body. Look at him destroyed. Look at him now. Look at him in the 21st century. Look at his body now. Here we are. You remember, uh, who was that gentleman in Acts where he says, eh, leave them be, right? Leave them be. If uh, this is a work of man, it'll kind of all just fizzle out on its own. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. So looks like that plan did not work, right? This is a work of God. We are, we are on mission for God, showing the nations what is the healing of the nations. It comes by being here. It comes by being a part of this people, the people of God, the one new man. If you understand this series that I've been preaching, The One New Man, you would know that it's all about being in Christ. That's the gospel. That's it. Die to yourself. Die to your carnal identity, that body that you have by yourself, that identity that you have outside of Christ. Die to that and come into this body. Die and put on Christ. That's the gospel. All too often when I explain the consummated resurrection of the dead as outlined in Scripture, um, I get this, this one thing, and I wanted to make sure that I conclude our series in talking about this, and it kind of pushes us into the, the next concept of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to close with this point here. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, actually, I'm just going to turn there real quickly. Verses 16 through 11, I'm just going to read them to you quickly here. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Well, one thing you'll notice is that obviously I've stood up here for about 20 minutes now, and I've told you that the resurrection of the dead indeed has occurred. So I sound like Hymenaeus and Philetus, because these guys were telling some that the resurrection of the dead already occurred. Okay, well, I'm just going to make sense out of that real quickly. Hymenaeus and Philetus are speaking to a bunch of, most likely these are Jewish men or, or they're Greek men that are kind of mixing a Jewish mode into um, their understanding of the gospel. They're saying, no, 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 we are the people of God because we are the resurrected people and the temple still stands, so let's go. Everybody follow the law of Moses and let's go up to the temple to offer, offer sacrifice. They found their identity in being Jew. You see, that was their identity. So what they're telling the church is, no, 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 it's not about putting on Christ and all this stuff that you think is going to save you from the law. It's about going back to the law. 
See where it is a problem? Because again, what we've noticed is that no, Jesus broke down those two bodies to make them into one. You can't demand your carnal identity as Jew and participate in the work of Christ. You can't do it. They're, they're confusing the church because they're bringing in doctrines that were not of Christ. It, what's happening here is Hymenaeus and Philitus found their identity in law. You see, they said the resurrection of the dead already occurred while the temple still stood. And that was their identity. They were the resurrected people to law. Be careful what you're resurrected to. I'll tell you that. Be careful what you find your life in. And they found their life in the law. So they're being disregarded to be cast away from the church. But I found interesting that this, actually, this case actually is proven here is how the Apostle Paul goes about arguing against Hymenaeus and Philitus. What does he say? He says, the Lord knows those who are his. This is an argument about identity. You see, Hymenaeus and Philitus are telling people, no, we're Jews, we're under law, we, we, need, to, you know, we need to follow law. The Christians were saying, no, Christ, where Christ is, there's freedom from the law. Gentiles are not obligated to be, come under the law to be the people of God. It was all an argument about identity. And the Apostle Paul is actually quoting Numbers chapter 16, verse 5, which is used, which is a passage that's talking about Korah and the rebellion that happened, that there were a bunch of people who rebelled against God, didn't follow his principles, and those people were cast out. Their identity was false. They were not of us. And that's exactly what... The Apostle Paul is saying about Hymenaeus and Philitus, that that identity, bringing the law into what Jesus Christ said, is not ours. They need to be removed from the body because they're not preaching the true doctrine. They're not preaching, they're not standing firm in their identity in Christ. Instead, they're seeking their identity in law. Stay away from them. They're causing confusion. The Lord knows those who are his. Again, our gospel is about dying to an individual carnal identity. Every identity you can think of in your mind about yourself that comes from who you think you are, you need to die to that. We need to find life in Christ. We need to be consistent Christians finding our life in the Messiah and allowing that life to be seen through us. That's our gospel. Not the desire to die and go get a new body. No, be the new body. You are the new body that this world needs to see. To sum up the details I've made, I pray that uh, many of you will go through the resources of the One New Man sermon series because, again, I do believe that for the past three months, I've preached to you the contextual gospel that is found in scriptures, the corporate body of Christ, the one new man that was formed that can fix this world. That's the gospel we must preach. So moving into from that thought into being Christian, hopefully I've demonstrated that you need to die to yourself and you need to be brought into the body of Christ. So now we need to figure out how do we live that individually? And that's going to be our focus for the next couple months. We're going to figure out, okay, what does that look like? I get it. We need to die to our identities, Jew, Gentile, all that other stuff. Come in here now, how do we live that out, the reality of being in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm going to challenge you with some things this week. And if, if any of you are taking notes, I'm going to ask you to remember this. I will provide it in an email, but I'm going to ask you to come with some thoughts this next week. I want you to think about these things. Please provide me with three biblical passages that mark out the Christian life. Find three passages in your Bible that mark out the Christian life. And then provide me five qualities that every Christian should have. Five qualities. Three passages, five qualities. And what we're going to do is for the next couple months is examine the verses you bring up, examine the qualities that we must have, and see where we end up. See if the world can truly see Christ through his people if we live in accordance with what we're called to live. Amen? All right. With that said, please join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your wisdom that transcends generations, Lord. That we would just be empowered by the gospel that truly does bring healing, Lord. That we would not 
set a, allow our minds to be set on other things, Lord, things that do not bring edification, things that do not bring the healing that we need, Lord, and surely do not lead our minds to be captivated by a false gospel. Lord, we just pray that we will be empowered to be your people, that you would take what we understand about the gospel, about being in the body of Christ, and lead us to understand on an individual level how that works in our lives, how the world can see Christ through us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. We pray that you will continue to exhort us and build us up to live according to that and live out our responsibility, Lord. We magnify you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.